This might resonate with your audience, John Henry. There's a big difference between believing in God and trusting in Him. It's the difference between, oh, I accept the teaching of the magisterium. I assent to the creed. I'm an orthodox. I'm, I'm pro-magisterium. That's great. But it's not enough. Orthodoxy is not enough. The demons are perfectly orthodox. They believe all the doctrines of the faith, but they tremble. Hey, my friends. I want to introduce you to someone who's a friend of mine. And you guys have, yes, seen him once before, but you know what? I want to get you to know him a little bit better. Patrick Coffin is a Catholic evangelist. He's been that for a long time. He was with Catholic Answers. He's been doing his own show. He's one of the ones courageous enough to come out early on with regard to the whole COVID business and take it head on. He's been really courageous. One of the mottos is he, he goes where no one dares to tread. But he's been putting on some amazing Catholic conferences, some conferences that are really giving people a shot in the arm that provide just key information. But in order to appreciate more fully what he offers, you should get to know him a little bit more personally. That's what we want to do on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Hello, friends. We have a great idea for you for Mother's Day. Did you know that massive companies like DoorDash, Etsy, Fry's Food, Jay's Jewelers, and even Hallmark are emailing their customers for the opportunity to opt out of Mother's Day announcements for this month? This is the latest erasure of women, and especially mothers, by the radical globalist agenda, entirely against LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. And that's why, during the month of May, LifeSite honors mothers around the world who have lovingly brought the culture of life into their homes and neighborhoods. In fact, we at LifeSite are proud to launch our worldwide LifeSite spiritual bouquet for mothers to dedicate your mother or a mother that you know into LifeSite spiritual bouquet for mothers. Simply click on spiritual bouquet for mothers in the link below. Be sure to add your name and hers, and by adding your names, you add new spiritual life into our bouquet that will be offered up in prayer by our entire LifeSite staff, and Father James Altman will be praying especially for you and offering a very special blessing to all participants. So, in addition to Father Altman, remember the whole LifeSite staff will offer up in prayer every single person added to LifeSite's spiritual bouquet for mothers. So, don't miss your chance to add your name and a mother that you know, or your own mother, and you can see the bouquet and prayer accompanying it in the link below. Mothers deserve our honor and respect, not being canceled. Click the link and enter LifeSite's spiritual bouquet for mothers for you and your mother. And together, we will opt in to the culture of life. Thank you, and may God bless you. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Patrick, I know you mostly through a mutual friend we have, and uh, he talks about you very frequently. And one of the things that most enthralled me when we first I uh, started hearing about you, was that you were basically like a stand-up comedian, which he says you should have been, and um, you were a magician, in addition to being a Catholic evangelist. That was the start of the conversation, of course. I'd love to know a little bit more about your story, your conversion story. Tell us, who is Patrick Coffin? Well, since you obviously want to put your entire audience to sleep, we can talk about me. 
Um, but the main, the main story about me, I think that is of interest is how I was raised in a, in a standard secularist East Canadian culture. There was no Catholic schools when I was, uh, born and raised in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I had a, a, a conversion experience at the age of 16, where all the sacramental graces that my, my now late father made sure I, I got, my mom was a convert related to the, to the one Holy Catholic and apostolic faith. But, um, that was a, a true revolutionary event in my life. I was 16. I was, you know, smarter than God, of course. And I'm, I was very grateful to have this conversion experience. I knew Jesus Christ had died for my sins. He had a plan for my life, counted every hair on my head. And that just was, it all was real. So I, I went to the local Catholic university to try to find out more about how to explain what happened to others. Cause I wanted to share this, this newfound uh, enthusiasm. And um, I won't mention the university, although it was Mount St. Vincent in Halifax. I had four years of pretty, uh, I won't say secularist, more heterodox, the standard bromides of the Catholic left. Um, many of my professors were ex-clergy, and so I learned a kind of primacy of conscience Catholic formation, which is to say the cafeteria model. And it wasn't until uh, a, a long journey and many mistakes and sins on my part that I finally made a real plea to the Holy Spirit to reveal himself in a way that was him and, and the, the foundation of all that is real and not some wish projection of mine. And then I very quickly, after I got the, the gift of faith, after that prayer was answered, it was like people I'd never heard of coming up out of the concrete in front of me, writers, resources, people, events, quote unquote coincidences. And one of them was a, um, an image that my now friend and mentor, Peter Crave, provided about the church as our mother. And he says, the church is, is our mother. She wants us to eat all our veggies. She's not the lunch lady at school who doesn't really care what you eat. And that suddenly encapsulated a lot of the confusion that I was um, experiencing. So I ended up going to Franciscan University of Steubenville, got a master's degree in theology and did mostly a, a large amount of unlearning. And that's when I fell in love with uh, dynamic orthodoxy. I learned about the church fathers, St. Thomas Aquinas, Catholic moral tradition. And so the Holy Spirit acting in my life and just full of the, the mercy of God, plus the message of Humana Vitae, which became my first book, which is now titled The Contraception Deception. So in my generation, Humana Vitae was like the ugly, embarrassing stink bomb that ruined everything. But for me, it was true north. I, I knew this was this was true. And if it wasn't true that that babies cannot be shorn from sexual congress and marriage, if that's not true, it's not just wrong, it's evil that the Catholic Church is consigning billions of, of her members through history to a lie. Well, who would want to follow a faith like that? So there's no middle ground on, on the teaching of the encyclical Humanae Vitae, which came out on uh, July 25th, 1968 by Paul VI. It was a very unpopular message and the timing couldn't have been uh, worse. It was the crazy 60s. It was the summer of love. The movies had gotten really terrible. You had uh, hippies, free love, drugs, Haight-Ashbury, um, you know, the Woodstock generation. But Truth is truth. And you, you want a church that's right when the world is wrong, not a church that's, that's right when the world is right. So voila, by God's grace, I, I was made a Catholic. And uh, of course, I, I regret all the years that the locusts stole, namely through my own sins and blindness and pride. And um, by God's grace, I'm, I'm here today trying to just keep letting my hair down and tell the truth and not worry about what the tribe thinks and not worry about what what a public opinion says or human opinion, none of that matters.
Can you walk us through in a little bit more detail just the Holy Spirit moment? How did you recognize it as the Holy Spirit? I think a lot of people sort of get there or maybe wonder, what is that like? How do I see it for what it really is? How do you know it's God? One of the philosophical mentors that I was reading from was Friedrich von Feuerbach, a German atheist philosopher, classic Enlightenment era thinker. And uh, von Feuerbach had a kind of spell on me, kind of like the way Nietzsche has uh, casts a spell on some people, because Nietzsche has some really interesting insights that if they were baptized, if he hadn't gone crazy, if he hadn't had ended up the way he did, uh, I think he could have been a saint. Von Feuerbach had a, a phrase that just kind of wormed its way into my mind. I couldn't dislodge it. And it's this, if man were a cow, God would have horns. In other words, God's just a, an invisible Santa Claus in the sky. God's made in our image and likeness. And so I was uh, in a kind of a bad place. I was uh, in a pretty substantial depression. And I remember looking down at my feet in the slush and I'm cold and I'm miserable. And my prayer was just, just from the heart. It, it wasn't anything profound or, or even articulate, but it was basically this, Lord, if you are real, and in my mind, the word real had a capital R, please reveal yourself to me in a way that I know is you and not some wish projection of mine. And I had no idea how that prayer could possibly be answered because I thought, well, no matter what happens to you subjectively, I'm just going to reinterpret it through that von Feuerbachian lens. Oh, one more wish projection. The reason I can't to this day articulate why that is, is that you have to take a step into the light. It's not a leap in the dark. It's a step in the light. And all my longings, all my questions, all my skepticism, I, I really began to take my doubts seriously and I began to doubt my doubts. And that laid the foundation for an experience, an experiential encounter with the Spirit of God. And how do I know it wasn't a wish projection? Uh, for the same reason I know that you and I are both not having the same mutual dream right now. Though actually this is a real conversation and people are hopefully are watching it and it's not dreamlike, it is real. So the Holy Spirit always comes with self-authentication and that can't be, that can't be given discursively by someone else. It has to be experienced internally. Um, you know that you know that you know. And that was it. And I, 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 I don't, I'm not prone to mystical graces. I didn't hear chimes or bells or anything like that. But I did have this almost, in my memory, it's a childlike voice. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me. That was it. Super simple. I asked someone about that. What, is, what does that mean? Is it, does this sound familiar? If you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me. And someone told me, yeah, it's, uh, that's the 29th chapter of the prophet Jeremiah, 29, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me with all your heart, says the Lord, I will let you find me. And the reason why that was tailor-made to me, John Henry, is that I had made God into a mental exercise, a kind of puzzle I could play with, an interesting concept, put it back on the shelf, not an earthquake, more like God the, God the benign uncle, not my father, who has direct personal love for me, and therefore demands from me, uh, order, structure, expectations. And yeah, and I, plus I hadn't, I hadn't sought him with all my heart. I only sought him with maybe half my brain. So, you know, when Peter makes his beautiful speech in, in the Acts of the Apostles and 5,000 of the Jews convert and they become Christians, uh, scripture says they were cut to the heart 
not cut to the mind, of all the places the God of the universe wants to live, his favorite place is in our hearts. And the intellect takes care of itself. You don't, you don't have to overanalyze or talk about the big 18-inch journey between the head and the heart. When you, when you surrender to the fullness of truth, everything clicks into place in a way that has to be experienced. And so a certain level or degree, I, I can't really communicate it because it has to be done by individuals in a, in a trusting, open stance. And, and this, this might resonate with your audience, John Henry. There's a big difference between believing in God and trusting in him. It's the difference between, oh, I accept the teaching of the magisterium. I assent to the creed. I'm an orthodox. I'm, I'm pro-magisterium. That's great. But it's not enough. Orthodoxy is not enough. The demons are perfectly orthodox. They believe all the doctrines of the faith, but they tremble. One of the things, you spent so much of your life answering hard questions, and I think that's beautiful. There's one question that plagues a lot of people. It's a particularly intellectual one. It's one of those humps that you have to overcome. It's usually phrased something like, well, if God is all-knowing and he knows the future, why would he create people? He knows he's going to send to hell, which you say is eternal punishment forever and never ends. How cruel is that? What is that? And you say it's a good God. I like to Turn that on its head because that was my one of my objections as well. It's actually way more cruel if you remove hell from the equation because there's no drama and there's nothing at stake and you are going to heaven, like it or lump it. How can that be a loving God? You mean I can't freely embrace this, this uh, love that he extends to me? No, I'm required to. Well, that makes God into a, kind of a masochist disguised as a friendly clown, because I have to be able to say, no, thanks, I'm good. That's what hell is. No, thanks, I'm good. And as Dr. Grief likes to say, the Paul Anka song popularized by Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, is the soundtrack. It's the anthem of hell. So life comes down to two choices. Do you want to uh, submit your desires to truth, or are you going to submit truth to your desires? That's the choice between heaven and hell. God may foreknow everything in history, and he does. He knows everything. He knows you and I are going to have this conversation. He knows that if this show episode, God willing, gets shared, everyone who watches it will all be predestined to watch it. That's true. But it doesn't mean that God forces the choices that we make here in, in this time-space continuum. We are free to accept or reject every single moment. Because even the word for is a little bit misleading. We say things like foreknowing because we're here in time and, and time is dispensed in past, present, future, right? Um, quick sidebar in the, in the book, Theology and Sanity, Frank Sheed says, in talking about the mystery of time, he says, uh, Augustine says in the confessions that he knows what time is, just don't ask me to define it. So there's that mysterious thing where when you, even when you're saying the word now, right? When you're saying mm, the ow's in the future, when you get to the ow, the mm's in the past. So God doesn't know the way we know. God foreknows because God knows all of it, Alpha and Omega, as one rapturous eternal now. And that's a mystery that we're going to take all eternity to, and it'll never really fully penetrate because we'll never really be literally God. Here's an image that really helps me. Imagine you're standing on the, on the, the parapet of a street building overlooking a busy traffic, it's, it's uh, intersection. And you see two large vehicles. Let's, let's say they're Humvees. And they're, you can see them to the left and to the right. They're screaming 
uh, toward each other in that intersection. And you can tell one or both are not going to, they're not going to stop at the red light. It's literally impossible for them to slow down enough to avoid hitting each other. So before that collision happens, from your perspective, you can say, you know, beforehand it's going to happen, but you're not forcing, forcing the choices of the drivers. They're still down there. They don't even know you're there. So likewise, God knows things without forcing the players to make the decisions that they make. Shakespeare, let's just use a really dim analogy. Uh, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet. Well, Shakespeare is the storyteller. He's the omniscient observer, so to speak, the omniscient narrator. And Hamlet's the character. Well, Hamlet, even on the fictional level, he makes free choices. So that's, I think that's an analogy to the way God foreknows. He doesn't force anyone to go to heaven any more, any more than he makes hell mandatory for anyone. This is why I'm not a Muslim, and this is why I'm not a Calvinist. If I believe that God foreordained with double predestination the saved and the damned, but that's, that's, um, that's monstrous, totally opposed to love and the, the freedom with which the beloved must have in order for that relationship to be reciprocal and meaningful and human and freely embraced. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. You have not always had an easy time in your life and you are doing something with this conference that you're doing for other people to give them hope. Tell us about Hope is Fuel and relate that to your own life and why you're doing this. My business partner, Ryan Moreau, and I connected a couple of years ago through church circles here in Southern California. He's since moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho with his uh, absurdly beautiful family. And Ryan, as I have in the past, has suffered pretty substantial depression and anxiety. And um, he and I were talking about mental health and the need for Catholics to understand that we're not just souls. If you read a lot of especially ancient or let's say more modern Catholic spiritual writers, they often over-identify the person with the soul, almost like, like a hangover from Manichaeism, like we're, we're just platonic souls in our bodies, kind of an inconvenient material cage. That leaves out the emotional life and the life of the intellect and the life, the, the, the fact that we're, we have bodies, we're body and soul composites. We're not uh, canaries in a cage where our, our souls are ordered to animate our bodies. And since the, uh, the pandemic, actually before then, so in 2019, uh, psychiatrists were writing and, and licensed family therapists were, were noticing this big uptick in suicidal ideation, generalized anxiety uh, disorder and depression. Massive in the last, between say 2010, and 2019. Then it tripled again with the lockdown. People of all stripes, people, atheists, daily mass goers, there's this pall of despair that began to hang over the world. And it got worse and worse. And people began to feel like they're living in their individual silos and no one understands me. And uh, wait a second, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Why do I feel so scared? Why, why do I feel so manipulable and manipulated? 
And so uh, Ryan and I decided that the fact that he captured hopeisfuel.com way back in 2014, he had no idea. He didn't, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But in our conversations, we just clicked on so many different levels that we decided to turn the URL into a movement. And the first, they say the opening stanza of that movement, to use an orchestra analogy, was the Hope is Fuel initial summit. And that dropped on uh, March 18, 2023. And that was seven clinicians talking from various points of view about cell phone addiction, about tools and tactics to navigate anxiety, depression, feelings of despair. And the wrap-up speaker was the great Bishop Joseph Strickland, who talked about hope from an eternal uh, point of view. And with less than five weeks runway, 2,500 people registered. And it was beyond anything we thought would happen. Dr. Ann Gillies from Ontario, Dr. Nicholas Carderas on cell phone addiction and how it changes neural pathways. Uh, Dr. Peter Bregan on how depression is actually the loss of hope. It has nothing to do with brain biochemistry imbalances. Adam Lane Smith, an attachment specialist on how our, our ability to attach with our primary caregiver, usually the mother, conditions to a large degree our ability and capacity to attach with a spouse. So he's all about fixing attachment. So it was just the right time, the right moment, the right uh, speakers, and the right people. And so our next Hope is Fuel is the one that you were honored that you are participating in, and that's Hope, Hope is Fuel, and the subtitle is Catholic on Purpose. We wanted to put together a kind of hybrid of a summit and a course that helps Catholics finish the sentence, I'm Catholic because, with greater confidence. There's not apologetics. We're not covering where purgatory is in the Bible. We're covering the things that you need to do, the books you need to read, the people you need to surround yourself with to fortify yourself, to give the best presentation of you. And of course, Christianity doesn't teach that we get a, the best version of ourselves. We get a new creation. One of the most beautiful scenes in the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ, it's technically out of order in the Gospels, but he puts on the lips of our Lord a line from the book of Revelation. There he is an extremist. He's got, he's got his, his body is scarred. He's bloody. He's an, it's, it's awful to watch. And he meets his mother and they have that moment. And he looks up at her and he says, behold, mother, I make all things new. Not some things, not most things. In that moment of apparent failure and humiliation, he knows, you can almost hear the Rocky theme in the background. This is the turning of the story from death to life. So Hope is Fuel is uh, our participation in the answer to despair, which is hope, and not just human hope, but hope that the thing we call death is just, just a stinger of a bee. And on the cross, our Savior let himself get, let himself get stung. And when he died, the bee's stinger is powerless now. And that's why... It's important to keep going one step, you know, one step at a time. As Father Mike Scanlon, my, my old late great boss at Franciscan University, I worked for Father Mike as a ghost writer and worked in the media relations department. He used to say, one foot up, one foot down, all the way to London town. Whatever you're going through now, no matter how painful, no matter how insoluble, no matter how scary, is only a chapter in the story that, that the Lord is writing for you. And all he asks is your yes. You don't have to be ready. You just have to be willing. So that's that's why we're we're doing this. Hopeisfuel.com slash events is probably the fastest way to connect with the list of speakers. Um, it looks like we're going to top off at 50. 
Um, we could have 200, just so many questions to answer. How do we go from the crazy 60s to transgender mania? Is there hope and healing for homosexuality? What are the best practices to keep your kids in the faith? How do you answer woke ideology? How do you become a Catholic? One of our presenters is Gavin Ashenden. Gavin was an Anglican priest and then Anglican bishop was assigned by the royal family to be the personal chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II. So he went from Anglican bishop, chaplain to her majesty, and now he's a Catholic layman sitting in the fourth pew and happy to be that because of the fullness of Jesus Christ that can only exist in the church that he founded, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So that's that's a very short sample. Some of the names are lesser known. Some some names like your your name, Jeff Cavins, Father Robert Spitzer, Abby Johnson. Uh, so it's uh, up and comers with amazing insights or people that have reliable messages have been doing this for a long time. Like my good friend and mentor, Ralph Martin. Ralph Sessions called, what is the gospel? We talk a lot about, oh, the new evangelization. Are you into the new evangelization? Well, well, let's start with uh, Catholic uh, 101. What is the gospel exactly? I wonder how many Catholics, if you if you stood outside a, your typical, uh, I nickname it the Nervous Ordo, please forgive me, um, and ask them a question, you know, on or off camera, what is the gospel? I wonder what kind of answer they'd give, given that 70% of Catholics today who go to the, the new mass, 70% do not believe that Jesus Christ is really present in the Eucharist, which means that's about 49 million Catholics that are low information. They don't even know why they're warm in the pew. We want to turn that around. We don't want to judge them. We don't want to call them stupid because starting with me, I was a low information Catholic. I didn't even know that I didn't know. So that's why we're doing this. And uh, it's, it's, uh, don't say this. It's really fun. Before we go on, and we are going to go on for a minute, before we go on, I want you to tell people how to get there. And you love LifeSite, so you're giving a donor uh, a, uh, a discount to LifeSite fans who are watching. Yes, hopeisfuel.com slash events. So hope, easy to remember, hopeisfuel.com slash events. If you get a ticket and put in LifeSite 20, so all caps, LifeSite, S-I-T-E, 20, uh, you save $20. So we want to increase the size of our, our uh, attendees. So those people can download the content and consume it whenever they, whenever they want to. But we decided not to do a live interaction event for the simple reason that, as you know, John Henry, you've ran your own successful summits. The downside is that people are super busy. And if you've had a lot, a lot of content, that's maybe a couple of days where you kind of feel bad that you can't consume it. With this, you consume it when it's convenient for you. And if you want to do one talk a week, that's going to be a year worth of a course essentially an encyclopedia in your back pocket. So hopeisfield.com slash events, LifeSite 20 gets the John Henry Weston show discount. One of the things that you have developed, you know, into in, in confronting the hardest questions is someone who, as your motto says, sort of dares to go where none dare tread. Why do you do that? This is hard stuff. This is not you know, the comfortable, easy stuff to do. You take on hard topics. You don't, it's, it's sort of like you will go there. Others won't go there and you have fun doing it. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have the courage, Gene. Uh, not, I don't feel like I'm particularly brave. Um, uh, if I can use a potty word, you can delete. It's, it's from one of Dr. Naomi Wolf's 
famous uh, Substack essays. I've had Dr. Wolf on her show um, on, on my podcast. Naomi Wolf is an, a good example of an outsider insider. She's outside the Catholic faith as a secular Jew, but she's very, very on fire for where true north is. She's very courageous and actually curious about things to do with the Catholic faith. So when I look around at the, the things that need to be confronted, the evils that need to be exposed, and the, the great harms that are coming to ourselves our, our, and our families, it's just too easy to sit in your armchair and say, somebody ought to do something about that. Maybe start with the guy in the mirror. And when you step out in faith, you don't have to be qualified, really. You just need to be, as I said earlier, willing. People are very, very inspired by seeing someone else do the thing that they really want to do. And so, um, for instance, when it comes to fighting the tyranny behind the lockdowns and the pandemic, it's a, the whole thing's now coming, it's all coming unraveled. It's, you can't, the lies are now completely exposed. It's, it's a bit of a joke now. I don't know why, John Henry, my eyes were opened early on. I knew in week, probably week one, so mid-March 2020, that we were being lied to on a massive scale. I've had friendships, I've had family relationships strained um, because of my stance, basically saying this is a naked emperor, people, and we don't need half of us to, to object. We don't need 10% of people to, to protest this. We just need about 3%. Only about 3% of the, British co the American colonists took up arms against the British military, 3%. But that has a, an engaging effect. It's like it galvanizes people, maybe sitting on the fence. So boldness is way more contagious than any virus or any, any even an, um, what's a bad idea, but a mind virus, right? So I found that to be true. I'm very inspired when I see people who are getting out of their comfort zones. And for Catholics, we don't really have an excuse. We say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We say that he's conquered death. We're always talking about, you know, memento mori, remember death. Okay, well, given that you can't press pause, there's no redos, why not just, just do everything that you can in the time that you're allotted? And let's stop acting as though tomorrow is owed to us. Every moment, including this moment, is a gift. And we're going to be accountable to the Lord of life and how we, how we distributed our talents at the service of that gift. I don't want to make it sound so poetic and heroic because I, I, I just believe, and this is a grace itself, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage, you know it's courage when you feel afraid and you do the right thing anyway. I can't let you go without reminding you of something that I said to you a long time ago because you're Canadian. So I said, um, well, you've gone to the States, but when you're ready for martyrdom, please come back. Yeah, going back to Canada would be atheism or martyrdom. Yeah. <laughs> Give us your take on Canada now from an outside perspective, but still with a heart for Canada. We just passed Bill C-11, well on our way to becoming China. What's your take on your homeland? America is the, the deeper part of the Anglo-American establishment. It's the one that um, seems to provide the most Christian freedoms, as conservatives like to put it. But America is also simultaneously Catholic in her DNA in the way that the founding, the fathers borrowed from Thomas Aquinas and the Catholic natural law tradition to write the founding documents, including the constitution. And it's also a mixture of that and Freemasonry. So the seeds of the end of America are already present in the founding documents. America is not an eternal Republic. In fact, it stopped being Republic a long time ago. 
It went from republic to empire, thinking it can just keep toppling governments around the world and be the world's, uh, the world's police. I'm stunned that the country that I, I have adopted, and I'm a U.S. citizen slash dual citizen, is still the last train on, on the, uh, the lockdown nonsense. It blows my mind that the land of the free, home of the brave, is this last holdout of global oligarchic control. So Canada is kind of the the, uh, the via media between England and uh, the United States. C Canada is now a de facto a wholly owned subsidiary of the CCP. It's a client of China. Uh, Justin Trudeau is, makes no secret of his great admiration for the communist Chinese regime. And he's being a loyal, uh, a loyal protege. Uh, I've interviewed his half-brother, Kyle Kemper, who I count as a dear friend, diametrically opposed to you know, Justin's uh, worldview and so on, his commitments. Trudeau is probably a compromise in some way. He's certainly a puppet. He has strings. Uh, not a lot of the policies make sense. And they're all terrible for Canadians when it comes to things like free speech. And people, people in America don't understand how explicitly Catholic the founding of Canada is, especially Quebec. A lot of the heraldry, I won't review them now, but um, a lot of the Latin heraldry in the, in the coat of arms are from lines from scripture. Admari usque admar, from sea to sea to shining sea, that's one of the Psalms. Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, uh, references to God in the Canadian Bill of Rights. You can't, I mean, that itself is gonna become, they're gonna have to outlaw their own founding documents because of hate speech, because of what they presume about the Bible and God's self-revelation and so on. And so um, having said that, I think, I think Canada is ripe for a resurgent evangelization movement. I, I have the same feeling about Malta and Ireland. The difference between a Canada and some other remote place where that really hasn't been evangelized is that Canadians, especially the, the French Canadian Quebecois people, they think, yeah, 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 we get the, the collective t-shirt. We know what we left. Yeah, no, you don't. You had cultural Catholicism, which always gives itself an F. It doesn't work. You have to deliberately say yes to discipleship of Jesus Christ. Then you have to make him, allow him to be the Lord of everything. If he's not the Lord of all your whole life, including your sexuality and all your impulses, then he's the Lord of nothing. I think the misery is going to increase. You know, my, my mentor, I know he's probably one of yours, Venerable Fulton Sheen, once said that modern man has already fulfilled half of the criteria. Uh, the, the conditions rather for salvation. He's miserable. And I think as the more Canadians live under this, the yoke of these unjust laws, whether it's hate speech or, or freedom of speech, this compelled speech is really the, the, the movement that drew me to pick up the phone and talk to a, a U of T professor who was a total unknown at the time. I read an article about him in the Globe and Mail and said, U of T prof says, I'm not a bigot. I thought, this guy's probably a rock star. <laughs> if, he's, if they push him to say he's not a bigot, I want to hear more about it. His name's Jordan Peterson. So I ended up interviewing him four times and, and he kind of foresaw, he was like a Canadian, a, a canary in the coal mine about what is going to happen to Canada if people don't stand up and say enough. Let, let adults be adults. Don't have the state muzzle its citizens. If Pierre Elliott Trudeau could famously say as part of his evil jurisprudence in what he gave Canada from liberalizing whether it's homosexuality or abortion, the Canadian version of Roe v. Wade, uh, he said, the state has no, bedroom, no business in the bedroom of the nation. Well, let's be consistent. Why not have the state having no business in the, the mouthpieces of its citizens? Why can't they speak freely 
object to the government, protest without fear of CCP-style retribution. And now, of course, with that retribution comes the social credit system where Canadians are being more and more monitored. Did you, um, you know, sweep your, your neighbor's driveway? Did you clear the snow of that day? How did you treat that guy in the bus? Because you're on, you're on video. Do you think they're not going to freeze bank accounts? Already happened with the truckers and those who supported them. Not a good metric. But I do see signs of hope. The great insight about being a Catholic to me, John Henry, I know you know this, and probably most of your audience does as well. Logos is always rising. God's action in history is always bringing great goods out of seemingly intractable evils. And he's doing it today. And we just have to go from believing in him to trusting him. That his plan, although might in, in, entail some short-term discomfort, is always worth it in the end because you get the fullness of truth. Not as a concept, not as a DVD program, but as a person. Absolutely beautiful. Patrick Coffin, thank you so much for being with us. Hopeisfuel.com. Go there right now, register, put in LifeSite 20, all caps, and that'll get you 20 bucks off. God bless you, Patrick. You too, John Henry. And I'm glad you're part of it as well. Thanks for the invite today. God bless you and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.